Good morning. Really good to see you. We're going to be reading the uh, first passage from Colossians chapter 1, and uh, in a few moments Lydia is going to come up, uh, Lydia Karamura is going to come up and read that passage for us. But before we do that, uh, we're just going to watch a very, very short um, intro video for, uh, which will give you a little bit of background to, uh, uh, to Colossians. So if the guys up there would be happy to play that video, it might help you. Lydia, would you like to come and read the scriptures for us? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Greetings from Paul. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossus, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Paul's thanksgiving prayer. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth and God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He's Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Thank you. So, <clears throat> Colossians. And as a little intro video showed, there's a little bit of background that's helpful to know. Um, Colossae was once quite a famous city. Um, on a major trade route in what is now Turkey. It was located uh, as an important centre alongside two other cities. One was Laodicea and the other was a place called Hierapolis. And there were these sort of three cities there. But that was a century before Paul was travelling through the area. And then about 50 years before he, uh, he was there, 
there was an earthquake. And all three cities were devastated by that earthquake. Laodicea and Hierapolis recovered and were rebuilt and prospered. Colossae, not so much. It never really got over that, and it actually declined and became little more than a small market town. As you heard from, from the video, um, Paul never actually visited Colossae or met the people there. His normal strategy when he was looking to spread the good news about Jesus was to go to a major centre and where people, where people were coming and going, where there was lots of things happening, and to base himself there for the maximum influence. So he never actually went to Colossae. Um, but this guy, Epaphras, or as the guy on the video said, Epaphras, which I don't know how the right way to pronounce it is, anyway, that guy, uh, he met Paul while Paul was at Ephesus on the coast. And then he went back to his home city of Colossae and told people about Jesus. He'd come to know and commit his life to Jesus. He went back and planted a small church there. Paul obviously recognised a sense of responsibility for these uh, Christians in Colossae, even though he'd not met them, and even though they were only indirectly the result of his work. But he recognised responsibility because they were kind of in an area where he uh, felt God had given him particular responsibility. Uh, some of you may uh, notice, as, uh, if you know your Bibles a little bit, you might know that there's a couple of other names we'll come across later in Colossians. Uh, one is Philemon, and the other is Philemon's servant, Onesimus. You might know them because Paul wrote a separate letter, which is in our New Testament, to Philemon, the letter to Philemon. They were also in Colossae as well. They were part of the leadership team there. And bear in mind, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, probably in Rome, and uh, Epaphras had travelled there to ask his advice and give Paul an update on how things were going. So, what can we learn about the background? Um, learn from the background there about Colossae. What can we learn for ourselves? Well, the first thing I would say, I mean, I've noticed this morning there's quite a lot of people here whom I don't know. I don't know whether you're just visiting uh, for a one-off week or whether you've been coming and I just not noticed. I apologise if that's the case. But maybe you're just passing through. Maybe you come from another area because some of you may come from a small village or another area which doesn't feel very important in what's God's, what God is doing. You've just heard <clears throat> Adam sharing our conviction about what God has in store for us here in Yeovil. And you hear us talking about the community. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's fine, but kind of Yeovil's not my patch. And I come from this little sleepy little village someplace else. <clears throat> and it doesn't seem that relevant. Maybe that's how the people in Colossae felt. A slightly small market town, not very important. But do not ever underestimate your significance. And if you're here from somewhere else, from some other location, and you feel, um, yeah, exciting things are going to happen in Yeovil, not so much over where I live, don't underestimate your significance. Paul had never met these Christians, but he wrote one of the most wonderful letters that we have in the Bible to them, explaining some fantastic things about Jesus, and sharing some really, really important truths. 
So don't underestimate your significance. You may not come from a place where it seems like God's about to do a lot of stuff, but he's doing all sorts of stuff. Secondly, you might want to change your name. Come on, talk to me. No, you're not going to talk to me. Ah, oh, yeah, there we go. Going back with that. Thank you. Right. You might want to change your name to Epaphras or Epaphras. Maybe you're the sort of person who's called to be that sort of person. Called to come somewhere where God is doing things and speaking and, and learn stuff so that you can take it back and transplant it back to where you come from. Maybe that's what God's calling you to be, uh, to be an Epaphras-type person. But perhaps most important of all, Paul was committed to investing in these people. He was committed to investing in Epaphras as a potential leader there, and in all of the, the, the Christians at Colossae. There probably weren't that many, a moderate-sized house group probably, but he was committed to investing in them. And the question that really comes to us is, who, for whom do we carry a sense of responsibility in the same way that Paul and Epaphras did for the Christians of Colossae? You may think, well, for my family, my close family, I carry a sense of responsibility for them. Yeah, absolutely. But think wider. Well, for my close friends, those I, you know, I know well and worked and walked with for, for, for a long time, yes, but think wider than that. Well, maybe for my small group or the group that I serve alongside, yeah, that's good, but there's more. What about those who, like Paul, you barely yet know? What about those who are just coming to faith? Those who are just committing their lives to Jesus, who are just starting out on the road, who are just finding their feet? Are we prepared to invest in those people? And that is a challenge to us, because we're all busy people, and there's lots to do, and Look, if God is going to trust us with new believers, are we prepared to invest in them? To put aside some of our agenda, to expand our, our interest, to say, yeah, I want to invest in them. And how do we invest? We invest, as Paul demonstrates in these verses that uh, Lydia read for us, by prayer, by encouragement, patient and practical advice, instruction in, in giving instruction in the basics, and focusing on helping these new believers to get to know Jesus better as their Lord and Master, drawing them closer to Jesus. I can almost hear you say, yeah, but I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. Not ready for that. I don't understand enough don't know my Bible well enough. My life isn't sorted out enough. I don't feel I know Jesus well enough. I'm tempted to use a phrase that was used by a certain political party at the recent um, uh, European elections. Something to Brexit. Because that is not true. For the vast majority of you here in this room, you are well able to invest in others, to invest in young Christians, 
It is seldom our capability that's lacking. It's normally just our availability. You don't need to understand every nuance of theology. You merely need to hold a firm grasp of the basics. And if you do feel you lack even that, then some of us really haven't been doing our job right. You don't have to know the answer to every question that gets raised. It's perfectly fine to say, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll try and find out. You don't have to have your life completely sorted out, completely into perfection. We're all unfinished, work in progress, and we should never pretend to be otherwise. We don't need yet to have the most developed, the deepest level of intimacy with Jesus. We simply need to be committed to the journey of knowing him better. If that's you, you can invest in some young, young believers. Paul comments in verse 8 of chapter 1, wherever the gospel goes, it produces Christian character and it develops it as it has done in your own case. You just need to remember that when we're seeking to help young believers, we are merely cooperating with the Holy Spirit. In my experience, um, sometimes we end up simply standing there rather sort of slack-jawed in amazement as we see what God's doing in growing this young person, kind of irrespective of anything we've done. It's kind of so encouraging and amazing, but it's not scary. It's just, oh, God's doing it. And growing, growth, is where I want to focus for just a few minutes. We've only got a little bit of time, so I'm going to whiz quickly, and I'm just going to touch on stuff, okay? There's a whole range of areas where Paul talks about growing, the potential for growth, the encouragement of growth, the need for growth. And Paul talks about them, <coughs> and I just want to highlight a number of them. Now, not got time to develop them, so what we're going to do, I'm going to mention them, just very briefly in most cases, and then I just want you to be alert and we'll pause for a moment for you just to say, Holy Spirit, is that for me? Is that something I need to pick up on? And if you sense that, hmm, yeah, I think it is, then determine there and then how and where and when you're going to respond to that. <coughs> so, Firstly, growing in our allegiance to Jesus. Paul says in verse 4, he commends them, we've heard about your faith. <coughs> faith is one of those big, vague Christian words that we sometimes struggle to get our head around. But if you were here back in October, I was trying to teach, <coughs> trying to explain that in this sort of context, the best way of understanding the word faith is allegiance or commitment to Jesus, loyalty to Jesus. So what Paul was actually saying when he said, we've heard you know, with gratitude about your faith, he's basically saying, I am so encouraged about your commitment to Jesus. That's what he means in that, in that context. Allegiance to Jesus. How about us? What signs are there in our lives, in my life, that I am growing stronger in my allegiance to Jesus? I am becoming more loyal, more committed to him. What's the evidence that I can point to in my life? Pause. <coughs> Holy Spirit, if that's something that we need to hear, will you just highlight that, resonate that with us, that we would grow in our allegiance. But not just that, growing in our love for each other. 
Paul talks about that, how encouraged he is about the Christians at Colossae, that they were really doing well in learning to love each other. He says again in verse 8, um, that he, how Epaphras has told him about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given them. The most fundamental characteristic that Holy Spirit seeks to produce in you and, I, you and I as followers of Jesus is love. That's what he's after supremely. Not just sort of wishy-washy, but Christian love, self-sacrificial care and kindness towards each other. In that true sense, we are family together. Now, I know some of us have got rubbish experience of family, but in the best sense, we are family together, and the Holy Spirit is wanting to generate Christian love amongst us, the most basic fruit of the Spirit. So how are we doing there? Master, we just lay our lives before you. Are there areas where our love is falling short, where you need to grow it some more, where you want to take us deeper? Are there people we need to sort things out with? We want to grow in love. Growing in hope. Growing in our hope of God's future. That's verse 5. Paul says the commitment and love of these Christians in Colossae was triggered and inspired by their confident hope of what God has reserved for them, what God has prepared for them, what God has in store for them. Some of you have heard me speak before, probably ad nauseum actually, about Christian hope. Our hope as followers of Jesus, not some vague pie-in-the-sky uh, optimism about a sort of nebulous future in an ethereal heaven. Sorry, too many words there. Apologise for that one. <clears throat> no, we're talking about something concrete, a concrete anticipation of our resurrection to share responsibility in a renewed creation. That is the Christian hope, a confident, concrete anticipation of our resurrection to share responsibility in a renewed creation. Are we growing in our anticipation of this? When I was young and first began to understand that that's what the Christian hope was about, I was really excited by the idea. Nowadays, I'm desperate for the reality. Holy Spirit, plant in us that burning hope for our future for the future that you have in store for us, that will inspire us. And then growth in our understanding, growing in our understanding, our grasp of what God wants for us. We've kept on praying, Paul says, and asking God to help you understand what he wants you to do. How are we growing in that? How are we growing in grasping what God is asking of us, what God wants from us? Here's a clue. It involves two things. Listening to what God has already said and then listening to what he's specifically stressing right now. Listening to what God has already said and then listening to what he's specifically stressing right now. The first means becoming familiar, growing familiar with what he's already said in Scripture. And the second involves growing in sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, but I'm rubbish at that, I hear you saying. Yeah, we're all on a learning curve on that. But we only learn by doing. We learn by doing. Is that you, Holy Spirit? I'll try and step out. I have no idea who the lady who spoke to the person at the bus stop that Adam was referring to was, but, oh, I covet the courage that she had. We learn by doing. Take us further, Lord, in that. And then growing in learning to live rightly. Paul says, then the way that you live will always honour and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Or as we read earlier in a different version, wherever the gospel goes, it produces Christian character and develops it as it has done amongst those Colossians. Maybe we need just to pause a little bit longer on this one. Because how we live really matters. Adam alluded to it earlier on, saying, you know how um, maybe God's calling us to a deeper level of consecration and holiness. Maybe there are things that there's grace covered in our lives at now, but actually, no, it matters how we live. It really matters. How we behave, what we say, what we do, how we conduct ourselves, what we say yes to, what we say no to. And that's not because we somehow earn brownie points with God, that we, we somehow gain favour with him because of doing or not doing certain things. It's not that. But it's because some things please him and some things don't. Some things please the master and some things don't. And the things that please him are the things that are consistent and compatible with who we are becoming. And the things that displease him are the things that are incompatible and inconsistent with whom we are becoming. We are reborn and destined to be in a particular way. And some things just cut across that and just dehumanize us. God is in the business of restoring our true humanity. And some things undermine that. How we live really matters. And if we want to know what true humanity really looks like, let's just take a moment to reflect on the life of Jesus. He is the model. That's what true humanity looks like. Jesus. And God is at work in us to make us like him. How we live, it matters. Some things please him, and some things don't because they dehumanize us when he's trying to give us true humanity. Are we growing in that area? Are we cooperating more and more readily with what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in transforming our lives, our words, our attitudes, our behaviors? Are we growing in that? True humanity looks like Jesus. And then growing in power. 
Paul prays for these young believers that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power. So we think, oh yes, great, I like this one. I like the idea of power. Power's good. Yes, but it's not quite what you expect. Growing in power, power to patiently persevere. As Adam has explained, as a team, we are anticipating and excited by a greater release of God's power. We are looking for clearer and more numerous examples of people getting healed and set free, of people coming to faith, committing themselves to Jesus. We're anticipating demonstrations of God's power. But alongside that, alongside that, there's an aspect of God's power that I believe we also increasingly need. And that's power to patiently persevere. Um, Miles was sharing, when we were praying just before the service, he'd had a picture of, uh, of a tree in his garden. And the point of the picture was that it was important to see sustainable growth. Sustainable growth. And that's what we need. We need power to persevere, to patiently press on, to keep going, because we're not just in this for the moment, for a few exciting moments. We're in it for the journey. Oh, sorry, that's an advert, isn't it? For the journey. Yeah, that one. Um, but we are in this for the long haul. We're, simply, we're not simply looking for a few dramatic interventions from God and grab a few people at the front to tell their stories. Yes, we will see that, but we're praying for long-term, deep-rooted move of God that will bring widespread transformation. And that will require perseverance and endurance on our part. For it will be hard work, and there will be opposition to face, not least spiritual opposition, and we need to be strengthened with God's power if we're going to be able to keep going. So, Father, we, we just pause before you. We long to see a greater release of power and we long for your strength to press through and press on and keep going. We can talk about growing in joy and thankfulness. Paul talks to these believers and says, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. One of the signs of being strengthened with God's power so that we have patience is that in our words, our attitudes, our whole demeanor will be marked by joy and thankfulness. Is that what I'm known for? Is that what you're known for? When people think of you, is the first thing that comes to mind, oh yeah, they're just so full of joy and thankfulness. In my case, maybe not. Somehow it's just easier so often to be not that way. Am I beginning to, to show that demonstration of God at work in my life? Joy and thankfulness marking my life. Bear in mind Paul was writing from prison and yet still he could talk in these terms. as I'm praying for some people that I care for, I'm beginning to pray more and more consistently that their lives will be marked by joy. Lots of other things I can pray for, but I want their lives, their lives, I want my life to be marked by joy and thankfulness and not complaining. And then finally, growth in awareness of who we truly are. 
Paul says, For God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The ground of our joy and our thankfulness for our persevering with patience is not just that we happen to be positive sort of people. It's not just that we're sort of those kind of bouncy, upbeat kind of people. It's because we have a growing appreciation of who we truly are. Royal sons and daughters of the king, destined to reign with him. That's who I am. That's who you are. Royal daughter and son of the king, destined to reign with him. And then the deeper the awareness I have of who I truly am, because of who God has made me, not intrinsically to myself, but who God has made me and remade me, the deeper the awareness of that, then the more thankful I am. The root of so many of my struggles and failures, speaking personally, is that I simply forget who I really am. We sometimes sing that song, I am who you say I am. And who does God say I am? He says we are, I am rescued. He says I am transferred from the dark kingdom. I am transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. I am granted freedom and I am wholly forgiven. That's who God says I am. Am I growing more settled and secure in who I truly am? Father, help us to understand whom you have made us and are remaking us to be. Who we truly are in your sight. Give, give us that growing awareness of who we are. The fundamental basis for growing as followers of Jesus is this. Recognizing clearly who we truly are, who God has now made us and who he now says we are, and learning progressively to live in the light of it. That's the basis of growing. Who I am, because God says I am, and learning to live in the light of that. I'd like us to close by playing a, a track that some of you will know. Some of you may know it from a Christian context, but it's also played in a secular context. The track's called You Say, Who God says we are. It's not, it's not just that whole um, cosmetics advert thing that, oh, because I'm worth it. It's not me saying I am worth it. It's who God says we are that matters. So let's listen to that and reflect on our awareness of who we truly are. <laughs> 